two guys from Milwaukee. Here we go again. It's those two guys from Milwaukee. Welcome to Low Orbits, the podcast mini-sode in which two writers watch some TV. Welcome to another edition of Low Orbits, where Steve and I discuss the relative merits of various TV episodes from science fiction's golden age. I'm Patrick Baird. I'm Steve Reitze. Today we're going to talk about a TV show that was near and dear to my 10-year-old, 11-year-old heart, Land of the Giants. And I did not see it. It was a little bit before your time. It was another Irwin Allen production, the same man that brought you Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, Lost in Space, Time Tunnel. It appeared in the 69-1970 TV season, I do believe, and it tells the adventures of a group of passengers and crew of a interstellar jetliner. It's, I don't know, it's a spaceship that's flying through space with passengers. I don't think it ever really explained how that worked in that future, but you had, I believe, five passengers and three crew members. Yes, may I introduce them? Oh, please do. Okay. You have Dr. Smith and the kid. <laughs> and the kid, Will Robinson. Ginger and Marianne. Ginger and Marianne. Mr. Howell. Mr. Howell. And then Don and Mr. Robinson. Yes, that's excellent. That is exactly the makeup of that show, is those characters. So it's a show where the ship gets sucked into some sort of vortex that hurls them off, I don't know, into the future, into another dimension, a planet on the other side of the galaxy. My preference is the last one. Whatever it may be, but they land on a planet where they are tiny little people surrounded by giants. I forgot, the giants speak English, so everything's thrown out Yes, now. they speak perfect English. Everything is pretty much the same as it is here on Earth, so it's an alternative Earth that just happens to be full of gigantic people. And gigantic dogs, and gigantic cats, and gigantic spiders, gigantic matchsticks. I think I did mention that they picked a very busy spot to land in. They certainly did. They couldn't have landed miles from anywhere, which would have been half of the planet probably. Nope, they landed right next to a research facility. Hey, what a nice coincidence that is. So this is the pilot episode. Actually, it's a re- editing of the pilot episode, I believe. They took the original pilot episode and made some changes, and it came out as the first episode of the show. So they land on this sort of jungly, woods-type area, and initially they don't realize what's going on until they're walking across the road and almost get run over by a giant car. Oh, yes, that was the first thing. Yeah, and then somebody, for some unexplained reason, some giant guy picks up their spaceship, looks in the windows, looks at them, and then puts it down again and walks away. I thought he took it. Or that they flew away. I don't know. It's oh, yeah. not oh, clear. Yeah. They did fly away. They flew away from the giant man. But then later on, a couple of them, the captain and the slut, uh, Ginger, I mean, gets captured by scientists who are conveniently nearby and taped to a slide and poked. The scientific technique of these scientists is extremely sophisticated. It involves poking these people with a variety of objects. But that's what science does. It pokes at things. Yeah, <laughs> poke them to see what happens. So after much poking, they're rescued by their compatriots in a completely unconvincing manner. 
And I believe that's it for the episode, isn't it? They escape from the research facility. Yeah. So that's pretty much the adventure for our crew in the first episode. Of course, there's the Dr. Smith character who is probably a pretend military guy. They don't really explain it. Mysterious suitcase full of money. Or something, bare bonds or pamphlets for VD. I'm not sure what exactly he had in his briefcase. But he's the sniveling coward just like Dr. Smith. And there's a young boy who is trying to be his friend. Yeah, befriending him. Which is him. very unlikely in this situation. The kid is like supernaturally calm throughout this entire thing. Yeah, yeah. The fact that this kid immediately develops a friendly relationship with this extremely weird and not exactly very trustworthy adult is quite alarming. Well, I've got to find Fitzhugh and that boy before it's too late. But, you know, it's Erwin Allen, and he's trying to replicate the success of Lost in Space. So that happened because it had to happen. As often is the case with Erwin Allen shows, things happen because they have to happen. So my favorite part of the whole thing, rewatching this many years later, which I was in absolute stitches, was that they replicated the hurling yourself from side to side <laughs> special effect <laughs> yes. from Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. So if you remember Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, like a giant octopus or a giant man would grab the submarine and rock it side to side. And all the actors in the show had to pretend that they were being hurled from one side to the other. And it was, it's one of the most fake things ever. And it's hilarious. Well, it doesn't help that the older stewardess was out of sync with the rest. Yeah. One actor's going one way and all the other actors are going the other way, which was equally hilarious. I think the giveaway on... Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea was they had the mapping table that had like pencils and pens on it <laughs> yeah, that didn't move. Never, Yeah, the pencils never rolled across the table. So that's an example of the level of care that you get from your typical Irwin Allen production. He said, ah, uh, it's just for kids an awful lot. Yeah. Now, I will say, to its credit, the special effects in this show were pretty darn good. They did the oversized objects. They had a lot of oversized yeah. objects like giant pencils and giant ashtrays and you know giant matchsticks and all kinds of things that they would climb over and climb on top of and pick up and use as weapons and so it had that and it had some pretty good match shots where they would i think some of that was just forced perspective shots no you can't do that if the big one's behind the little right one. no it was like a lot of front projection yeah you know where they would have a film of a extreme close-up of one of the giants looking at them and then the actors would be in front of that yeah, the one where he picks up the bottle next to the trap. That was a pretty good... Yeah. So for its day, for an Irwin Allen production in particular, the special effects for this show are pretty good. And I do remember the one other thing about this show that was pretty cool was it turns out that the society of this world of the giants is a fascist dictatorship. So in later episodes, they encounter government officials who are basically Nazis, and I think they literally dug up a bunch of actors who had played Nazis in Rat Patrol and Combat and other TV shows. I think for at least 40 years, every bad guy had to have a German accent. Or and these were actual German actors, you know, who played a lot of German soldiers and Nazis in various shows. So that was actually a pretty interesting twist on the whole thing. But I'm sorry, I just could not stop laughing when they did the hurling themselves from side <laughs> <Yes>. to side. <laughs> it's so familiar to me from all those years of watching Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. So what did you think? I thought it was completely in the vein of Lost in Space. 
and the later seasons of Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. A fun show for kids to watch. Well, I would disagree somewhat. It was nowhere near as silly as those shows got. Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, it devolved into a monster of the week. The ship got taken over by pirates once. Like, not modern-day pirates, but like our pirates from the days of piracy. Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't they have a magical leprechaun at one point? Yes, I think there was a leprechaun show. There was all kinds of really silly episodes at the last season of Voyage of the Sea. And of course, you know, we have things like the Great Vegetable Revolution on Lost in Space. Dr. Smith gets turned into a broccoli. There's a quote I can't remember exactly, but June Lockhart went to the writers when they got the scripts and basically said, what the fuck? And the writers straight out said to her, we can't think of anything else anymore. And both of those shows, which they aired at the same time, about halfway through the run of the show, it was like a one word or a short phrase premise for the show. What if we had space bikers? Ah, I see. Yes. What if we had space hillbillies? Well, they did hippies. I know that. And hillbillies. Yeah, the hillbillies, the space yeah. hillbillies, which was one of the more interesting ones. The great actress Mercedes McCambridge played the mother of the hillbillies. Really? And she was just chewing up the scenery like there's no tomorrow. And her son, not only was he a space hillbilly, but he was also a werewolf. Uh, all right. Yeah, that's the appropriate response to the idea that the Space Hillbillies episode featured one of the hillbillies was actually a werewolf. Again, I hate to project. I'm just thinking someone picking up a phone and screaming into it. No more drinking. <laughs> yes. So the Land of the Giants never devolved into that level of silliness. So I would recommend it for anybody who had any fondness for those Irwin Allen shows. If you got a, a yen for 60s nostalgia, it's, it's one of the better shows of its type at the time. It was a single season. I believe it was just one season. Yeah. Two at the most. But I loved it. When I was like 11 years old, it was one of my favorite TV shows. So I'm trying not to be too snarky about it. This was my introduction to it. Overall, while I would probably continually have problems with the logic of everything, I could see you could have some interesting adventures. I also see a potential for repeating the same problems over and over again. We're small, they're big. What do we do? Well, I think they did a decent job of managing that. I think you and I should watch one of the later episodes that features the Nazis. That would be good to get a feel for how good those were, how good that storyline was. And I think the actor who played the Dr. Smith part, who's a Weasley coward, I think he tries to sell everybody out to the Nazis at one point. Well, I mean, of you course. would expect that. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe one of these times we get together, we'll watch another episode and see if it's worth reporting back on how the Land of the Giants Nazi theme went. Yeah. And I can't help thinking, ringing in the changes. You have small people, you have big people. Let's just make a list of all the things going to happen. I wouldn't be surprised if a giant fell in love with the girl at one point. The slut or the airline stewardess? Well... They were both quite fetching, yeah, yeah, I will say. Yeah. I mean, are you asking my opinion? Mm -hmm. I like the innocent girl. That's your type. I went more for the slutty one. I like corrupting the innocent. Yeah, it's never clear from that first episode exactly what the... Well, let's be more generous and not call her a slut anymore. Experienced? Divorced? 
the femme fatale of the show. Like they explained how the one guy is like a millionaire who has to make a business deal the next day. Yeah. So he got a little bit of a backstory. And of course, there's the mysterious, slimy military officer who's got the briefcase full of something. Sold our military out to the enemy. And I don't think they explained why the little boy was on the ship all by himself with his dog. Did you notice? Well, the dog, I'm not sure if the dog was ever an airline thing being in with the passengers, but did you notice the kid had a tag on a string around his neck? Oh, okay. That makes sense. Airlines used to do that for kids traveling alone. Okay. Well, we assume that. We assume that he's, for whatever reason, traveling alone from one parent to the other or something. But maybe in the later episodes, they get around to explaining everybody's backstory and we'll get to find out how the slut, I mean, femme fatale, what her story is. Yeah, what happens after a few months when she starts getting lonely? Yes, a few months, more like a week, probably. (laughs) And I'm being totally chauvinistic, I'm sorry. Yeah, this is not West Dallas. (laughs) So any other thoughts on your introduction to the Land of the Giants? Nothing serious, but I just keep thinking, would it have been fun or a depressing slog to be in the prop department? Every week, okay, we got to make a giant skeleton key. Okay, a giant quarter. I don't know. That might be fun. I'm leaning towards fun. Maybe they were proactive and they were just making stuff. And Erwin Allen was like, a giant quarter, that's great. Hey, you, writer, come over here. Yeah. Put a quarter in the next episode. We need to have a quarter somehow. It's a key part of the plot. Yes. (laughs) All right. Well, that's it for this episode of Low Orbits. I'm Patrick Baird. I'm Steve Reitze. Keep watching the sky.